that's all I want to do. All I, I just want to be part of things and make cool stuff and trying to explore. Hello and welcome to Where the Living Room Used to Be, a podcast about Rhode Island's music scene. Hey everyone, it's James. On this episode, I welcome multi-instrumentalist Ben Shaw. Not only does Ben play several instruments, he also writes and performs many different styles of music, from folk and jazz to classical and hip-hop. In our conversation, we cover his journey of being a musician that was barely accepted into the band at his middle school, to becoming a nominated composer in international classical music competitions. We also get into the release of his new songbook for his jazz album, I'm grateful to have been a part of this coming together, and you can pick up a copy starting on February 6th at the Parlor Jazz Jam in Providence, or by visiting benjaminshawmusic.com or my website, livingroomutb.com, shortly after that. Enjoy the episode, subscribe wherever you're listening right now to hear some upcoming bonus episodes with Ben, and please follow Where the Living Room Used to Be on Instagram to see some live photos, show flyers, and more from his time in music. Ben Shaw, thank you for uh, joining this podcast. It, it's really cool to have you on. I'm a big fan of of you. I'm a big fan of your music. You're doing a lot of exciting things uh, that I'm really uh, happy to to share with all the listeners. So, oh, yeah, thank thanks you, again for for being on. Oh, dude, I, I mean, I you know how much I love this show and how much I am just such a fan of this. So, I mean, I just wanted to come on mostly like I was texting you the other day, just to try to take down people that you've had previously on the show. Yeah. So I'm here to spill the tea on, um, uh, Joe Potenza and yep. Chrissy Stewart, Leland Baker. I'm just, I'm coming for him. You this know, it's going to be like an expose. We're not even going to yes. really talk about you. It's just going to be no, why? You know, why? like why? behind the scenes, like what they're, you know, what were oh, they yeah. really like, you know? Oh, people, people can go to my site and read, you know, read all about my music if they yeah, want. Yeah. But man, let's they want to know what I think. But I I will say I will what say is Joe Potenza really like, you know. Oh, yeah, oh. he can play bass. But, but I mean, is he a good guy? I will say. Or how does that, he take his coffee? He better not take it with extra, 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 because that'd be weird, you know? Oh, he's, he's one of those guys. <laughs> he, he's the one that asked for, uh, was it Splenda? My dad has to, my dad has to ask for uh, Splenda now because uh, his doctor doesn't want him to have sugar. Okay. So it's just like, it's like this whole weird order that he has to go through. And, but, but no, I, uh, I actually wanted to say that uh, like one of the things that has been nice about this podcast is being able to listen to the people that I, that I've been able to play with like Joe, like Chrissy. And like, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, Joe, I have so much respect for because of his band evening sky, letting me sit in and play with them a bunch, you mm -hmm. know, when, as you know, I, I, it's just because I do a lot of stuff. Not a lot of people sometimes ask me to do things. I think because maybe they think I, I, I'm busy, but the reality is, is that I just, I keep busy because it's like, no one's asking me to do stuff. So I just okay. tend to do a lot. I tend to do a lot on my own because I just want to make things. So mm -hmm. having them ask me and then Chrissy has always been so, 
I mean, so incredible to like watch what she does and yeah. all that stuff. And Lee and you know, be and work on things with her. And Leland what is just, I mean, he's just so cool, man. He's mm-hmm. he's one of those guys that he's a sax player that being a sax player myself, I I watch and he keeps me wanting to work more because of the stuff that he's doing and he's achieving and the sound and the breadth of music that he's getting out of his horn makes me want to keep coming back. So, but yeah, like, I mean, you, you did mention a lot of your info was on Benjamin Shaw music.com, your website. Uh, But for those that are listening, can you just talk a little bit about where you grew up, your yeah. introduction to music and what was your first instrument that you uh, picked up? Yeah, I, um, so I grew up in uh, Portsmouth, Rhode Island, which is on Aquidneck Island in Rhode Island. So a lot of islands in there, but it's, a, <laughs> it's, I like to say that it's just kind of like, um, you could have found this town, I feel like in anywhere, like America, it's just kind of like in the middle of Iowa to be there, you know, it's very basic, very, there's, there's not a lot going on. It has a great school system, which is why people move there all the time. But we were, we were just like a middle-class family, just, you know, perfectly fine, just living mm-hmm. there, going to school and everything. But my parents weren't really musicians. And so there was no real like music happening in the house or anything. But so it, it was just like my experience with kind of discovering music was was very kind of natural it was it's more nature than nurture i think okay it it was very i remember the first song i ever remember really hearing i mean and obviously this is you know when i was baby you know there's music playing around and my parents had records and they'd have it but the first song that like really really truly grabbed me was uh elvis presley's heartbreak hotel and I just remember it was just there was something about that. Well, since my baby left dinner, and I'm just like, yeah, yeah, what? <laughs> like it just, it just was so. There was nothing going on. There was like this weird attitude to him, and I mean, and he has you know, kind of this mystique about him that has you know, all these different things about Elvis, and so. But at the time, I didn't really know all all about that and about the history and and stuff, and I just that was it. I just heard what was going on and it just grabbed me. And then from then on, it was just kind of little stuff. Okay. And then, and then as I went, I just, it was little things. It was like, we were in a school assembly in fourth grade, third grade or something like that. And they were, there, there was a, the band from the high school came in and they, you know, showed all the instruments mm-hmm. and some guy played tenor sax and it just seemed really, there was just something about it. You know, they just stand up and it's like, oh, this is what an oboe sounds like. This is what a bassoon <laughs> sounds like. Here's a tenor sax. And it was just something that like really grabbed me about that. So that's why I got obsessed with the saxophone early on. And it just, I honestly wish I had like a better origin story with music because it was just kind of like this, this cobbling together of different moments that don't really kind of make sense, like why I would be this obsessed with it. But yeah. I, I, I think it's just because there there was just something about it, this mysterious nature to it. Yeah. And, you know, my dad wasn't like a really big, he was, he was a music fan, but he was into like Harry Chapin and Phil Collins and stuff like that. He wasn't into like the Beatles and Bob Dylan and stuff. So mm-hmm. I, I got this like whole weird side of music 
my early music life started in, you know, young music classes. And then just, you had to pick it. You could pick an instrument. I was like, well, I got to pick that saxophone. That's pretty cool. Well, how yeah. do you get to the saxophone? You got to do clarinet. And then I learned clarinet, but then when I, it was time to move up to the saxophone, I actually wasn't really good. Um, so they told me that I couldn't do it. And then, then this, um, girl, Crystal, she moved, I think her family was in the military and they're like, okay, well, Crystal's moving. You want another shot? <laughs> and that's, okay. And, and, and that was it. I was like, <laughs> okay, I, I auditioned one more time and Miss Russell, my teacher was like, yeah, you're still not good enough, but whatever, we need one. Wow. So, and, you, and you're the only one who wants to do it. So, <laughs> well, that's an interesting uh, hurdle to kind of get over. Um, but I, I mean, like what's coming to mind as you're speaking though, is just that, you know, I've talked to a lot of people and myself definitely included. I can identify with just it not really making any sense why I play yeah. music. Like it just like, it, it is like, there's something within me that will just continue to push on, continue to try to do new things, continue yeah. to learn it. It, you know, it takes uh, a long time. And in my case, it was not something that I just, you know, picked up the drums and all of a sudden I could do what it was. Like I, you know, yeah. years after playing, my parents were like, just so you know, I mean, we're happy with what you're doing, but when you first started, like you kind of sucked. Trash. You, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So like <laughs> they it was, just gave it thing. to you. Yeah. Um well, but dude, I, it just, I there was thing. something with it of like, I, you know, I, I yeah. could do other things and I don't know, I would just go back to the drums and just continue to, to try. And um, so there's something that is unique yeah. with, with what we do, man. I, I, I have never, never been a, na- I've never been a natural, especially at music. I was never a natural at it. Mm-hmm. I had to, you know, I, I don't want to, you know, I hate, there's like a weird bravado when people say, you know, that kind of phrase, well, I had to work to get to where I was. And I'm not saying that, but I did have to work really hard to just get to the level I'm at, which, you know, if you ask me, isn't a really great level, but I mean, it's, it's worked out in in different ways. I've been able Mm -hmm. to write a lot of music and, and have a lot of fun, but I am always searching for more, but it takes me a long time to, kind of get any concept or figure it out and to work on new instruments. It's, it's very mm-hmm. aggravating. The music is constantly telling me, please stop. You do, you, you shouldn't be involved with this. And, and I just keep saying, no, no, I'm going to do it. Yeah. I just, yeah. I just, I'm going to keep going. And, and music is like, no, you really don't. Please. <laughs> We're convincing you. Yeah. But like saxophone, the one thing I had, and I think this is what got me, through a lot of the, you know, kind of the, the bummer part of being a saxophone player. Cause when you start off playing a reed instrument, you sound like a squawking goose instantly. There's no mm-hmm. way there's there. You just sound like this weird bird and it's uncontrollable. <laughs> it's loud. And as soon as I was able to kind of like wrangle that in, I had naturally, this is the one natural thing I had. I had a pretty decent tone on saxophone. And that's what people okay. would comment. Hey, that's what I always, I always get. It's like, hey, your tone's really good. And I honestly think that was enough to just get me through to say, it's like, okay, well, I, I sound good. Now I just need to know how to like what notes and stuff. Yeah, okay. And, it, and that was kind of what got me through. Okay. But so when did you, else, yeah. when did you start playing guitar then? Like when did like other instruments get introduced into your, 
repertoire of my oeuvre or whatever yeah. <laughs> um, yeah guitar guitar was a like a few years ago i mean i had okay. buddies who who i you know some of my really good friends like uh my buddy rich and i we would uh he got a guitar and he would strum around and his brother was really good on guitar and i would be like okay well let me, let me try some things so it's, mm-hmm. i would kind of learn a couple of chords and i would just kind of bang out some stuff on the strings and then eventually we would just start playing like folk songs together because we shared a lot of the same love and stuff of music and because of me being a bit more serious with it and studying the theory and all that and kind of knowing what was going on Mm -hmm. I was able to sort of make something happen but then I I didn't really I wasn't really serious until I want to say 2000 and 15 i think when i was which we'll, we can talk about that later this um i this other band i was in broke up had been together with that band for a long time and it just kind of ended um semi-abruptly in, in kind of a weird way but i was lost i was i needed something to play and i had all this music and i had a love for folk music and and rock and roll and all that stuff and singer songwriter material just kind mm-hmm. of it writ large. And so I, I was just like, okay, well, no one, it'll be easier to play by myself. So okay. I just, I learned how to play the guitar the way that I played guitar out of necessity rather than, I mean, I love the guitar. I always wanted to play the guitar, but I thought everyone else plays the guitar. So let me learn the bass and that didn't work. Let me learn the banjo. I did, wasn't good at that. Um, you know, and then finally I was like, you want to learn guitar, just focus on guitar. And still, I didn't do that. I just kind of learned enough of what I wanted to know Uh, to be able to, to be able to play the songs that I play and like improvise and make up stuff. So if you ask me to play other people's guitar stuff, it's probably not happening. But if you ask me to play my thing, I can do that for you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Which is sad. Uh, one of my things this year is to really focus on learning the instrument more because I have okay. such a deep respect and love for it. But the fretboard is still kind of a mystery to a large degree. Mm-hmm. And the finger, you know, the, the kind of the way you move around. I just, you know, when you're looking at something, especially any instrument, and you can hear you can hear something in it calling to you. I know that I know this sounds like mystical and weird maybe, but you, you look at a piano and you say, I know that there's Rachmaninoff in there, but I don't have the keys right now. How do I, it is just, if you're like me, it's just like, I just want to know how to get that out of the instrument. And then you start to hear different sounds. Like I hear a song in there but I don't know how to get that. And that takes learning an instrument, sitting down and actually learning how to manipulate the instrument in a way to get that sound that you want. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can uh, attest to that as well. I mean, I was, I guess, kind of lucky that when I first started playing, it was learning from Dave Grohl. So it was not like, yeah. uh, you know, super technical. So I, I, but it was that type of thing of like, I want to be able to play, this Nirvana song and then I'd be able to do it. So I was like, check, you know, like, nah. yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, so what was the like first recorded music you did or first, I guess, I mean, maybe it's the same thing, but first band that you played in. 
Yeah, we uh, we uh, we played in. A, I had a couple of different bands um, in high school, but it was kind of all the same band. Uh, it just like different names because it's like, oh, well, this is not working. This is not cool enough anymore. We had a band because, um, again, I didn't I didn't play guitar or anything. I played saxophone. So what I'd have to do is we'd we'd have to, like, find other people, you know, me and this other guy, um, another buddy of mine, uh, John, we'd have to, like, find other people to play and it was like okay well because he played trombone so we we always had to find like the rhythm <laughs> section yeah and then it's like okay well then it became a group songwriting thing but we had a band named uh the first band was called sullen vertigo so uh very very high school i like i yeah. like the shaking of the head like oh yeah no that made sense no it, yeah. it was awful sullen vertigo uh it was cool though we got to we played like like at the time we kind of played like this real heavy stuff the guitarist that we were working with this kid sam was wicked good he was wicked good uh he's went ended up going to berkeley really great player mm -hmm. um but he he knew how to play uh cowboys from hell by pantera oh okay yeah and so i was like dude yes it was like that was all <laughs> i needed we we ended up we actually covered that at the high school battle of the bands and i got to and i was the lead singer because no one else wanted to and i i secretly wanted to but i didn't have a good voice but i could do that over the line will we stand tall you know it's oh like, yeah I just, yeah <laughs> i could scream into a microphone <laughs> yeah. just fine but I, that was one of those moments where i i kind of learned like oh i really i really want to do this i want to uh -huh. be the guy up front like i like this mm -hmm. it was it was actually our first gig was at um flo's clam shack in middletown you know, when you're going oh, wow. down to the beach i don't know who got this gig for us i don't know how we got it because we we barely had any songs mm -hmm. i think we were just mostly making it up we were you know jamming we were yeah. kind of all, we were all in jazz band so we sort of knew what was going on but it really wasn't good so somehow we got that and we played on the upstairs shoved against this like there were seven of us and this is the plight of me and bands being at the sax players because if you're a horn player well you need another horn player unless it's like a jazz combo so it was always like these six piece, seven piece bands oh, okay. and yeah. shoved into this tiny little corner. And I don't know why I didn't quit after that because it was a horrible gig. It did the smell <laughs> of like fried clams and, and everything is just like surrounding you in this like fish tank, like is like I'm butted up against this like fish tank just shoved in with like six other guys. And, but yeah, we just, we would get like a couple of gigs here and there, but it, you know, we played that. We eventually changed our name to Black Orpheus because uh, we liked the jazz tune. Um, okay. Actually, it was funny. You know, um, Kevin at AS220, he's uh, one of the sound guys at AS220. Yeah. Uh, he, he's math the band. Yeah, yeah. We I was telling him the other day, uh, like a while ago, that he that because uh, we we struck up a good friendship from my several times doing things at AS220 and I used to run a jazz series there called is this jazz uh, okay like a, yeah yeah a bi-monthly concert series and so we were friend you know we're very friendly now and I told him that I think my one of my high school bands opened up for math the band in a church basement and he like knew exactly what it was oh really 
<laughs> oh, dude, it was so cool. And the even cooler thing is because we struck up this friendship, he let me play on one of their records. I did some horn parts for uh, Math the Band's Flange Factory 5. Yeah, so it was like this record. weird full... Oh, dude, I... Like, that is... It's so much energy, so fun. Mm-hmm. So it's it's such a great record. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I guess I mean you just kind of brought it up, and I just I did want to talk about some of the people that you accompany as well, because you do have a long yeah. list. Um, I mean, you just brought up you know being on the, the Math the Bands the Bands album, uh, but can you talk about some of the other people that other albums that you've been on? Uh, just since yeah. you brought it up, one of the bummer things about being a sax player is that it's you're kind of like the last addition to a lot of these bands like everyone everyone needs a bass player everyone needs a drummer but not a lot of people need a saxophone player but one of the cool thing is about it is that when you do get asked you're like coming in to like add a little something yeah and everyone treats you like oh yeah. Right. It's like, oh my God, we were like, well, you're blowing it. It's like, you kind of get to be the hero in a way. And yeah, just it does. In. It matters. It's like, oh, that was yeah. like, the, it was, this was good. But then that little saxophone part will just, you know, pull That's it together. It. Yeah. 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 Oh, dude. I've, and it's a lot of it is, it's just like kind of making it up. So there's not really, okay. you know, it's because people want you to come in and they'll say, for instance, like Chrissy, uh, I played on her song Preacher's Daughter, which I really, which is a really cool, really cool tune. And it's just this like real nice, like kind of quiet jazz thing. And Mm -hmm. she wanted me to play Barry on it because she knew that I played baritone sax and tenor sax and alto sax and all that stuff. And so I just showed up. It was this really cool recording studio that she had set up at this person, this like artist's house on Jamestown, this beautiful view. I just came in you know, they put a microphone in front of me and they're just like, okay, we're going to play it. And I just improvised just these horn lines just over and over and over and over again. And at a certain point it'd be like, okay, now let's try it with like this weird thing over the microphone or over a speaker or something. And then I played tenor and then I had a broken clarinet that I was able to like figure out just enough of like a blues scale on it. That was Mm -hmm. in key to play. And that was in, so it was like a quick couple, maybe a couple of hours of just doing it, laying down these parts, figuring out what works. And then I walk away and they, they do all the hard work. (laughs) It was the same thing with like the thing that was kind of cool with like the math, the band stuff was they had pre-written parts that they wanted. Oh, okay. You know, so all I had to do was just kind of play to that, you know, figure it out via the recording. Okay. This is what they want. This is what the MIDI horns are doing. I'll play that. Uh-huh. Um, and so I had to figure that out and just, and just record it at home at my own studio. Oh, at my okay. own time. Just you know, like the, the mic I'm using now to, to talk to you is the same one. You know, you just plug it in and it was, um, no, it's, it's really funny. Cause it's, you know, the band, the deer hunter. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Gavin yeah. from Groovers Malt played in them yes. for a long time. And yeah. yeah, he's in with them. Uh Casey and Nick Crescenzo. Um, Nick Salcido is uh this bass player that I had worked with before. And he he plays bass with the Deer Hunter. Mm-hmm. And they for their Act Five record, they had written these horn parts. And again, because I played baritone sax, I they needed these parts recorded. And they had actually like written them out. So I went to Nick's place and we recorded them. 
And it's it just it's just these weird moments that you get into when you're when you're a horn player where you know it's these kind of random bits <laughs> that you're just like, I don't know where I'm gonna fit in. And so you just play and you record, but it all ends up kind of working out in the end where it's I, I've never had really a bad experience with just kind of sitting in on people's records. I really <laughs> like doing it because it's I can just do it from home sometimes or yeah. Again, you just go in and you get to be the hero. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's um Can you talk about working yeah. with Evening Sky? Yeah, we've done we've done two we've got two albums together uh that I've worked with Evening Sky on. They honestly like I, I had gone to a couple of shows. I had played with Joe and Gino, uh Joe Potenza, the bass player, and Gino Rosati, uh the guitar player. I had played with them at like jams and stuff, or yeah. like seen them at gigs and everything. With with jazz, you just kind of see people around mm-hmm. at different gigs and you kind of get to know people. And so we just would talk or whatever, or and then they started playing with Evening Sky. This thing started up, and I've always loved the idea of creating music that's at the intersection between like this kind of roots music, you know, kind of like Americana folk and jazz, like that kind of intersects that. Mm -hmm. And so I went to a gig of theirs and I was just blown away. I I just couldn't believe it's like, these are, these guys are doing it. Yeah. yeah. You know, they kind of have like the Bill Frizzell, Brian Bladen, the fellowship kind of thing that I'm always going for. Mm -hmm. And they just kind of naturally do it. Um, it's those two and then uh, Chris Brooks on pedal steel and Eric Hastings on drums. And the four of them just have this really great sound together. And I just kept going to the gigs and, and honestly, like telling them how much I liked what they were doing. Yeah. And then I did when I recorded the jazz album, one of a couple of the tunes on there are in that similar vein. And Joe Potenza listened to it when I released it. And he's like, you know what? I think you'd fit in with what we're doing. So he just, that was it. It was just like, they heard that I had a similar idea. I had a similar concept to them and it was like, let's work together. Mm -hmm. And like I said at the beginning, I am, I am honestly always looking to work with people in some way. I, Mm -hmm. I really love just making music. That's all I want to do. All I I just want to be part of things and make cool stuff and and trying to explore mm-hmm. and so when they asked me to do it it was like oh, this is obviously what i want to do and so yeah. i actually i wrote a couple of tunes for one of the records and we used some like previous uh written material that i had for some of it and so it was just nice to kind That's of awesome. play with them yeah yeah and uh i played in a band with chris kelly we played in umbrellaco for a little bit and i know you have uh you played with him as well. Oh, yes. That, yes. Yes. Um, with Mauricio. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That is, that is, a. um, it used to be Bellerophon and now it's Mao. And it's, that is really cool because again, it's just, he had some parts that he was doing, but that he, that he knew that he wanted done, but mostly that gig too, is just kind of like making it up and it's a okay. Sweet, like, 80s vibe yeah like this this sort of like new wave vibe kind of music that i i like but i don't make myself but would love to know how to make or be a part of <laughs> yeah so again when you get to be asked to do this stuff because i have a, I, as we'll talk about like i have a lot of different types of music that i explore a lot yeah, of, yeah. i i just like trying new things and, and seeing what i can come up with and 
how I can apply the lessons of other music. So mm-hmm. having him do this stuff, it was, it was nice to scratch that itch because I've never really been able to do it authentically on my own. Yeah. So when you, you can, ask me to just, you can perform yeah. it as someone else, you know, like as, yeah. um, as an accompanist to someone else, but yeah. Tell me to do a, like a schmaltzy kind of eighties sax riff on something. Oh dude, I'm there. <laughs> it's cool. It's, yeah, it's so that's much awesome. fun. For those that aren't familiar with you, you have recorded a classical album, a jazz album, a folk album, have many folk singles, you know, like you've recorded under your own name, under Ben Shaw, recorded all of these different styles of music. Um, What motivates you to do those different styles of music? And um, like, do they mean different things to you in different ways? Or is it, uh, you know, like what, what is it with pursuing all of those styles you know when i went to the university of rhode island i wanted to be in music composition because i had i was a boy scout and um eagle scout (laughs) james um (laughs) sorry i don't want to i'm a full-fledged eagle scout but um one of the merit badges we were doing was music and you had to write a song just like a simple song And I wrote this, I wrote this piece. It was, it was the first time I had been asked to write anything. So it was Mm -hmm. like, okay. And I was just sitting there trying to think of something. I had my saxophone. I tried to, I kind of played something. And all of a sudden this spark of like a melody came up and I heard for the first time, like music that I had never really heard before. I was like, okay, let me follow that thread. And I wrote it down. And there's a couple of times that this happened, but this, in, this was probably in its like most pure form where the song was formed in my head and I was able to transfer it to paper perfectly how I heard it. Oh, okay. And it was like some sort of weird lightning rod just like shot through me. It was like, all of a sudden it just revealed to me, like you can think of something and just create it and it's there and it was perfectly formed and, and it was just such a rush so then you go to when i'm in college and i'm looking for my major and i remember that feeling of like what it was like to write songs and when i was in that high school band when i was writing these because we had horn players so no one else and no one else wanted to do a lot of work a lot of the work and and i want i really wanted this thing to happen so i was writing lyrics and 
I started writing the horn parts. Well, then I, it was like time to pick a major. I'm like, well, composition. I really like doing that. Mm-hmm. And I have all these horn parts. I, I was kind of toying with performance, but I wasn't, I, I just wasn't up to the level that I needed to be because my practice was really bad. Like my, my way of practicing was, was really poor and I just didn't practice a lot. So as an instrumentalist, I was really behind the bar, but I just felt like I had something with music uh, composition. So I brought them to this teacher, you know, you kind of had to do this like quote unquote tryout, which wasn't really a tryout. It was like, Hey, just show me that you want to do it and we'll let you, but I had all these, these horn parts and he's like, Oh, this is actually pretty good. Uh huh. And so that's, so Joe Perillo was my first composition teacher in the jazz department. And then through the composition department, you had to enroll in a year of classical lessons, classical composition lessons. Oh, okay. I was like, like, I don't want to do that. Come on. I just want to write <laughs> jazz, man. Let's just write jazz. Yeah. But then I, I so I started studying with um, uh, this woman, Eliane Auburndown, and she just, I would write a couple of things and she would actually say like, oh, this is pretty good. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> so I could, really? so it was, yeah. then I'm like starting to make the connections. Like, wait a minute. Like there, and there were a couple of jazz guys that were writing classical music that were having pretty good success in writing better music. And it was just like, it started to lay the groundwork that, okay, you can just be part of things. You can, if you want to write it, you can just sort of do it. If you just apply yourself a little bit to it. The the mechanics of Western music are largely the same. It's all, we have 12 notes. That's all we get. How we organize them is, you know, in how we utilize them and the harmonies that we get out of these scales or whatever, however we design these things, that's, you know, a part of the language of speaking in jazz or classical music or folk music or whatever. But it's, it's all the same kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And so... Then later on in college, I started um, I started getting into hip hop uh, through my brother. He was uh, working at a record store and had this friend who showed him a bunch of stuff. And he showed me Atmosphere's Sevens Travels. Um, mm-hmm. And it was just like completely changed my brain. I'm like, oh, you can do that, too. Because I was such a music snob, James, in, in <laughs> high school. I was like a real, just a real idiot. Like I just, you know, it was like, it was all towny rock to me. Like, that's what was cool. Secretly liking jazz and class. I mean, jazz was cool because I was in jazz band and being a jazz musician, I always wanted to be a jazz musician, but it's like classical music. I had a love for that. And I just had all this love for music. And so you get to college and you meet all these weirdos who also have this love for music. And so when I was getting into hip hop, I started getting into I found um, the Soulquarians and Erica Badu, and um, I found uh, D'Angelo and uh, the Roots. Most of all, and then I was like, "The Roots, okay, I want to do this now." Yeah, because yeah. like it's a whole band playing hip hop, and so then we formed a band called Milk Bread. Um, mm-hmm. I found a bunch of guys, and we formed this band called Milk Bread. And I was like, "We're gonna play this like kind of neo soul stuff." What mm-hmm. ended up happening though is that everyone were like these different musicians. Like the drummer Dil- uh, Dylan CV, the drummer is like kind of a rock musician. Uh, Brandon Moore, the keyboard player, is you know a jazz musician, but he's also like really into like the Doors and stuff. Um, Dylan Lagama, the bass player, he was you know he was doing like slap stuff on electric, but 
he was also in the jazz program. So it's like all these, and um, we're just all these different people that like these different things. And we made this stuff that was kind of like rap, kind of like funk, kind of rock, kind of indie stuff. Okay. And I think, and I think it was just like this meeting of, I had this idea of what I wanted to do. And eventually I think we got there. There's a song, um, if you listen to it, called Contiguous. It was the last thing we ever released. That, if you listen to Milk Bread's Contiguous, that is like the purest form of what I had always wanted to do. The Sabbath side motion is messing with your devotion. Float alone on the ocean, but which hand is holding? A wave hits and splits the ship in the house. So you survived the crash, there's a crack in the glass. Sand spilling out too fast, and watch the grains pass. And the pile that's left gets surpassed with each mile you last. But you smile as you take out the trash and stack it on the other bags of passion. You grab all the door handles, but can't handle the scandal. Picking brahms or handles, sitting or standing all over family. Animals can be cannibals, but so was Hannibal. So try to understand the intangibles. Decide are you a hero or vandal? Some say semantics while they confuse their answers. But many think it's what empire you were blessed with. But then again, falling three times is a hell of a hat trick. So pay attention to the hand you tell. we're always told that we can only kind of be one thing as musicians. You know, it's like, okay, you gotta, you gotta be the jazz musician. You gotta be the classical musician. You're going to be a folk musician. People want to just kind of give you the one thing because it's easier for your career to just do the one thing. But I mean, if I look back and I'm like, well, I like all this stuff. Mm -hmm. Why, why would I stop doing this? Why, why would I not want to keep making, you know, classical music? I love playing with that and jazz is just so jazz is so incredible for so many different reasons that are too innumerable to kind of go through here but i think you know through that i got everything else really jazz just kind of gave me everything else but i so i've I've always wanted to do that but as simultaneously i'm like well i want to write folk songs so it's like it really just comes down to because I'm just so compelled to try to find my voice and I'm just trying to figure out what it is. And and it's this constant search to, to find what that is. And I think it's maybe contained in all these different parts. Mm -hmm. And so if I can sort of make this amalgam weird chimera of something that might be me. I might actually find what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's working, but I'm, but damn it, I'm trying. Yeah. You know? No, but I appreciate it. It's, I mean, it's something that is way beyond what I can do, but I think it's inspirational just because there's, there are, there's probably some other people that are facing those same sort of challenges yeah. where they're like, well, you need to pick something. You know, if you're going to do this, you need to write folk songs and and do that um and uh i mean i guess i don't want to speak for people but it seems possible that that stuff is happening where they're not looking at just yeah. going and being like well i do want to explore these other types of things and it does seem uh i mean maybe not unique with being the songwriter because i mean i've 
played a lot of different styles of music from well, exactly. you know hip hop to like really like loud punk stuff to like whisper folk stuff yeah. when I played with Marissa Nadler and like you know a lot of different things and no one's like that's weird James why do you play you know right. in a hardcore band and also in this like whispered folk music you know like it doesn't but it seems that 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 it's not, there aren't a lot of people that are I'm a songwriter and here is you know multiple different styles of music that yeah. that are currently recording at that same time you know so I, I just appreciate what you're doing just uh I mean the, Thanks, the music is, is really good but just for the fact that you just are pursuing all of these things I hope that some other people will see that and and pay attention and and do that themselves you know so that they don't have to stifle their own yeah. interests you know that's kind of what I hope I mean I think a lot of people don't do it because honestly it's it's a bit of a career killer in, in a way it's like because you can't you can't say like if I'm gonna release this song, you know, like we're going to, for instance, um, in April, I'm going to release this EP of singer songwriter material. Yeah. But in February, you and I are working on this sheet music book for the jazz stuff for the jazz album I released, but it's all under my name. So it's part of me is like, am I, am I asking too much of people to jump around and say, like when they see a release, if you follow me on Spotify or whatever, you see a release and it's all of a sudden this weird classical music, you're like, okay, well, I guess he's not doing that anymore. Unfollow. But it's like, no, it's like the stuff you like will come back eventually, but this is also me. Yeah. And, and I want to say it took a lot of people like giving me time and helping me. I am not, I'm not a man on a, on my own Island. I didn't create this ship that I sail upon, but I am a, a product of many people's helping hands and guidance, mm -hmm. but it still did take me a long time to figure out like, what, what am I doing with classical composition? I mean, I, the reason I started writing classical stuff again was because I started taking lessons because I wanted to, write classical music again. So I asked, I was taking piano lessons at the time. Um, and I asked my teacher for like a reference mm -hmm. and he led me to this woman, um, uh, Ala Cohen in Boston. And she's like a prodigy when she was a kid at the Moscow conservatory, like really deep, like, like heavy kind of out there quasi tonal music. And she took me on and I've been taking lessons with her, but when I started, it was just kind of like, I'm figuring it out. And okay. I didn't really take to it. I mean, she, she says that I was pretty, you know, she, she does a good job of like pumping me up, but, and like telling me that a lot of the stuff I write is good, but she also knows how to give out like really good. <laughs> I, I would just say like that. Yeah. It's, it's, I think people want to do things, but they feel like if I'm not great at it, then there's no reason to. And my whole thing, because, and I know that because that is me. I, I know that I spend a lot of time telling myself not to do things and to, and to not pursue stuff because you're going to be shit. That was what I was, I saw in myself that I'm not good enough. You're never going to be good enough at what you do. So you know, just give up. But again, the audacity of like, but I just really want to play music. Mm -hmm. And so I, I would just 
I, I constantly have this fight where it's like, don't no, just stop. It's, it's not worth it. You're not good. And I think through the sheer like whittling down of my, myself and my self-confidence, I just eventually kind of scabbed up enough to say, it's like, no, I'm, I'm good enough at these things. And I know I got there. So I don't have to keep telling myself not to do things. If I want to do them, just go out and try. Yeah. And so absolutely. just, just eventually after a while, it was like, that's what, and that's why I don't really separate it because, and that's why we were talking earlier before we got on about naming stuff, because I had a problem with Ben Shaw because there's so many different Ben Shaw's under on Spotify and stuff. And mm -hmm. So I thought about changing my name, but it's, I worked so hard at developing my own idea about being okay with who I was and my own identity as who I am, that it, it, it seemed like I, I'd kind of be spitting in my own face in a way to not use my name. And if I went about making this music and didn't just put it all out under my name, if I came up with like a, a name that I thought would sound more classical, or if I was like trying to, when I was doing the singer songwriter name, it's like, well, I want people to know me as a jazz musician, which I do, but I also want people to just know me as a singer songwriter and as a, and as a writer in general, it's like, but it, it won't work. But you, I was just like, well, but I want, I want to do these things. And so I have the benefit of no one really right now is like paying attention as much. So if I do things and I kind of mess up and I have to take stuff off Spotify or whatever, because it like doesn't fit into the algorithm or whatever, I can do that, but that's not going to, but why stop myself when I am so utterly compelled to do it all? I would rip my face off if I didn't just do it because it would, uh -huh. it would just be un, it would be this unstoppable want inside and i would it would just it would gnaw at me like like a good song gnaws at the inside of your brain yeah yeah but can you talk about your classical album that that uh, yeah. recently came out uh, i mean you just kind of brought up some of the lessons that you've been taking with that and and uh but yeah um yeah that came out in december and uh i mean i, I think it's a great record. I mean, to be honest, classical is not my forte. Yeah, at all, I, I don't but blame it. It is. Uh, it's a. It's an interesting record, though. It's very, like emotive. Like there's just a lot of um, the contemporary classical that's coming out. Like yeah. there's sort of score type feel to it, um, but a, a, like a planned progression, correct? Where it starts with some piano to flute yes. to you know. Can you talk a little bit more about? the theory behind that and how the record came together. Sure. Yeah. So that, um, the album itself stemmed from, I needed to do recordings, um, of these pieces for, uh, competitions that I was submitting to. So in the classical field, you, one of the things that you can do, um, there's this really good infrastructure. I mean, good is a relative term because some people hate these competitions because <laughs> of different reasons that we won't go into, but, there's this really good um, uh, base of competitions that you you submit your music to, and so I was I, like I said, I've been taking lessons with this woman up in Boston, 
And we've been working on this stuff. And she just, you know, I, I went in there and we started writing. I wrote the first prelude and then we went on and she's like, okay, that's good. And we were working on other piano music and she had me start on the string quartet. And that went really well. And we, we finished that and we just kept moving on through these different pieces. And as we would move on through the pieces, she'd say like, okay, we have to submit to competitions now because we need to get your name out there. We need to do all that stuff. We need to, we need to start playing in the realm of classical music, Mm -hmm. um, in in the sort of like structure of it. Yeah. So you have gotten some nods from those competitions as correct. Yeah. Yeah. Like, um, so there's one called like the IBLA foundation, IBLA, uh, that's sort of like an international based competition. Then there's also the American composers. Uh, there's the American prize, which is like this American based prize. And so I've, I've, for my string quartet, I was a finalist, I think in the, in the American prize. And then I got, that's awesome. Uh, uh, distinguished as like most distinguished, one of the most distinguished musicians. And like one of the, I didn't, w- I haven't won yet, but, uh, I, I get, I get pretty decent high marks, thankfully, mm-hmm. you know, which just means, which is good because like, then it means you can keep going. <laughs> you know, uh, it just yeah, kinda, no, that's great. It, it's great. Yeah. Through. So through those lessons and everything, we just kept working on music and, um, and I had these recordings and I, when I was recording the preludes, um, I had this pianist, uh, Constantine Finehouse and I was talking to him. He's like, dude, why don't you just like release these? Why don't you just put them out? I'm like, really you think so they're kind of you know because they're recorded but they're recorded for competitions and so it's not like i mean the musicians are amazing musicians uh-huh. but it's not like the this was like the most high quality recording that you could buy you know yeah i didn't spend hours it was like we went into the studio for we had like two maybe three hours to record the string quartet in its entirety yeah. and we recorded it in chunks and then the engineer just like slapped it together and did a really good job. But the piano like took a couple of days, but we only really had like a little amount of time. This was actually a good lesson for me because I've been learning now that it's like classical music. It's just because I thought like you have to be perfect. Mm -hmm. And I just don't think people give a crap anymore about if like the sonic quality of something is absolutely perfect i care mm-hmm. but like the average person is going to listen to it and it's going to focus on the music rather than oh, like, yeah, yeah. well the piano isn't as good as maybe you heard it in your brain yeah. so i just decided like i, I, I just this picked stuff. up on the yeah. like the percussive elements of what you were writing and that it was this uh album is building to something that yeah. Um, like emotion. I mean, the names of the songs are, are emotions, you know, but it just, that's what I really picked up. Yeah. It definitely wasn't like the, honestly, I, I, it never even crossed my mind of the sonic quality of what the, the recordings were. It was just like, what is yeah. Ben trying to do with this? Or um, <laughs> yeah. no, not like, but just yeah, like, no, no, but I, I just, like, I like, you know, the, I like the you piano that, was, like, has that. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I don't, I don't even know how to describe like sort of, disjointed uh percussive yeah. things you know and it was like oh this is cool you know and then yeah it, it builds up to this the string quartet pieces that 
kind of you know bring things together you know so where the the preludes are just these sort of snippets that that but they lead to something so yeah i was i was trying to understand more of the concept and what was going into it but yeah it definitely wasn't uh yeah no 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 i get of the like the 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 quality of what that was i didn't even think of it or i i mean yeah the great thing about what you said is like you focused on the music and that's Mm -hmm. what's important is that people get what i'm going for in all this stuff singer songwriter stuff that i have up there now like we recorded i had my buddy matt come over with his um travel gear and we recorded like all those singles at my house my my old house um which you know it it worked but it's you know you're um you're you're looking at like we had like guys in the house was this like unfinished portion where it was like all this kind of like wood, there was no electricity over there. So we had to run electricity from the other side of the house, which had power. <laughs> yeah. um, but we, so we recorded in the kind of this unfinished sort of exposed wood and wall and stuff. And it just had this vibe to it, but you know, we, we were just using like whatever he had I and mean, he's got good gear, but it was all like kind of on the fly. Uh-huh. And what proved to me about that in that experience, it was like the thing that we kept saying was like, it's the vibe. The yeah. vibe has to be a certain thing when we're recording this. And if we get that, boom, we're good. Like mm-hmm. we've, we've accomplished it and that will come through. And I think if you listen to a lot of those singles, you kind of get what, what's going on there. Yeah. But, yeah. Well, I'd love to talk about your singer songwriter stuff. Uh, sure. I mean, you're, you're bringing up those singles, but you also do have that EP uh, that's slated to come out in a few months. You know, the one coming out in April the singer songwriter stuff that is, that's going to be a lot of the singles that we recorded in the house. Um, okay. And it, and a couple of them are actually songs that we recorded during sort of the earlier, early summer of the pandemic in each other, like in our own houses or whatever, and had Matt kind of cobble it together. But so the story about like that EP that's coming out in April was again, I just, I was looking to, I had all these things I wanted to say. I wanted to keep making music, but I needed a way to do it. And I've always loved folk music and I've always loved um, singer songwriter stuff, you know? And I like the, the thing I like about singer songwriter music is that it's such a weirdly all encompassing genre. It's like when people say jazz or even classical, you're really not doing service to it. Like when I say, you know, bluegrass, I have a general idea of what I'm getting with bluegrass. Mm -hmm. When I say jazz, I could be getting 
Dave Brubeck. I could be getting Robert Glasper. I could be getting Sun Ra. I could be getting Lester Young. Yeah. I could be getting Fletcher Henderson. Like I could be getting all these different things like Artemis. I could be getting uh, Terry Lynn Carrington. Like you could just be all over the map and singer songwriter. It was like, okay. So it's like, I can do anything with that, you know? And it was, so I, it was, it was nice. And it's just, it was just going to be me and a guitar. So when I started writing songs, it, I would just kind of mess around and come up with stuff and really focus on lyrics and, and, and the song and the, and the song. And it was a really good, as I went, I kind of like went through all these different identities. Do I want to kind of be like one of these kind of like hard driving guys? Do I want to be there? You know, what do I want to be? And I came across like guys like Tom Waits. Yeah. He is, I mean, he's my North star truly, but him and then John Prine and then Jason Isbell and like kind of these guys that are in Sturgill Simpson. And it was like, okay, let me kind of aim for this sort of thing. And so I started kind of writing in that sort of singer songwriter vein. Yeah. And and was really working on just making it acoustic because I I figure if I just focus on making like acoustic music and writing these songs, that'll be fine. And I worked on them for a couple of years, just playing them because my guitar playing was real bad. And so I would have people (laughs) play with me. It was, it was awful. But I was working on songs and I was I was working on the craft. And so I got a couple that I really liked. And finally, I kind of got the gumption again to just say, like, well, if not now, then when? And though it's hard to see you in any other light than the one that hangs above your This dawn of maybe brighter makes it easier to hide behind your sense of righteous sympathy. Sarcasm seemed like your domain, but with each joke, your interest wanes for me. When I was recording the jazz album, you have to record using all these. I wrote up all these charts, um, which had the music, like just the melodies and the chord symbols. And that's what we would use, like when you're on a, when we do gigs and stuff or like the real book. If if there's any jazz musicians out there, it's like a chart, a lead sheet, a chart in the real book or whatever. It's just the basic stuff to communicate the music at its most basic form. Mm-hmm. And that's what we use in jazz music. And I thought like. I don't want to make a CD because I have milk bread CDs, 700 of them still at my parents' house. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, I don't want to make a CD for this one. Um, but I love notation and I love, yeah. I think it's the perfect way to communicate this. And th- just specifically this Western uh, music that we're working with, like this Western system that we're working with, um, with the 12 notes and all that stuff, this kind of notated music the way that we have notation, it's like a perfect way to communicate with people. Mm-hmm. And so I thought like, oh, well, what, let's put together all the charts that we used and 
we'll sell that. And, and I, we, we had been talking about like collaborating on something you yeah. and I, and I, I remember like, also, let's do this. Yeah. Uh, which also was really intriguing to me was releasing music in a plastic free way of like, yeah. how, how could we do this? You know? And then there's some other people that are doing some interesting things, but yeah, it definitely made sense to do this book of charts for the, the jazz album that you yeah. uh, put out. Um, but yeah, that was just really interesting. And I haven't really seen, uh, too many people do it in that fashion. Like there are different ways where you can yeah, yeah. release the album with a t-shirt or anything that, you know, uh, of, of, you know, Matt, the band does energy drinks and boxes of oh cereal or whatever, you know? So Kevin's I doing some really stuff, cool things, man. but, uh, yeah, that was just a, a very uh, interesting conversation to have. And, and just to, I, yeah. I, it opened my eyes to a lot more of what people are doing with regards to plastic free music releases, you know? So, well, and it's like the thing I like about the note notation in the chart book is that now people can read, read along. They can see what we saw. They mm-hmm. not only see that, but they also can bring the music to their session. If they have like a quartet or a quintet or whatever, and they're just like, Hey, let's play these charts. Yeah. They get to put them in their voice. We, um, the Is This Jazz concert series I did at AS220, we would do a yearly jam of all original music because AS220 is famously like all original, no covers. So we would compile like these like bunches of charts from all the different guys. And I remember once listening to a group, I wasn't even playing at the time. They played my song Dia, uh, which is the first track on the jazz album, but they played it. And they played it in this really weird, like Latin Afro-Cuban way that I had never heard it. And it was like, that's wow. Cool. Yeah. Okay. Cause I play it as a ballad. Mm-hmm. And it was just, that's what I want to do with like this kind of notated music. Same thing with like all the classical stuff or like the singer songwriter stuff. I love the idea of people just playing it and bring their own voices to it because being a composer is that's part of, the dream really is that other mm-hmm. people is that I have a vision for this. I'm, I am, I'm putting it out there. This is, this is the music that was born, born out of me. And I give it unto you and you like listen to it and doeth what you will. But the great thing about like having the sheet music is that you can play it. You can experience it. Yeah. And that was what was so intriguing about like doing the chart book. Plus, we also did to make it more special. We um, I put up some poems in there because um, I try to write a poem a day for the last couple of years. Um, again, just like constantly doing stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, you know, sometimes I have to play catch up, but so a lot of those poems I just had, I was like, some of them really fit what I wanted to do with uh, the music and the charts. So we threw those in there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like, well, and the reason I brought I bring up the poems too is because the um, one of them was when we, we were talking about like putting it together. Like at the beginning, I have that um, poem at the front, where if you get the book, it's just about being unencumbered and about this not this fear of wanting to be better, but just doing and like this mantra that kind of served throughout. So it was kind of fun to put that uh, that this mantra that I had that kind of served me throughout the process of putting together the guys and the album and all this stuff. And cause jazz music's really hard and jazz music. And I've always wanted to be a jazz musician because 
jazz. I jazz think you technically is, are, but yeah, <laughs> but continue. I thank you. Yeah. yeah, but it's, but no, it's I. That is one of my fears is that I because I've always wanted to because the the thing that is so intoxicating about jazz or you know in quote unquote jazz because jazz is so many different things but I'm going to refer to it as jazz because that's what people know it best as but guys like um like I remember hearing in college about like Bill Evans idea about jazz was that jazz is not a music it's a process and that really lit up my brain because again, like all this different kind of music, I could just apply the jazz process to it. And it was like a way of communicating with, you know, the different language, figuring out the language of whatever you're trying to do and working within the framework of that and then thinking about it in different ways. And the great thing about that whole idea, that whole concept is that it led me, it let me, do every anything I wanted to. I could play around with all different stuff and be my own person. But jazz, again, quote unquote, as this as this genre or whatever, is really friggin' tough. It is hard. It is like mentally taxing. It's it's physically tough to like manipulate the instrument in the way to get it. And you're always improvising and you have to listen and you have to know what you're doing. And so and me not being as good as I wanted to be, it's like, okay, I, I'm just, I'm not at the level that I need to be because um, I need, I need to be deserving of the title of jazz musician. I, I am so far from being worthy of it that I'll never, I'll never get there. And so I finally figured out, like, as I got older, it's like, well, if you think you're never going to get there, then what does it even mean to you? You're making music that you like, you're enjoying it and you want to make it, just make it. Yeah. yeah it was that's kinda, really what matters. So. It was as stupid yeah. as that to just be like, just do it, guy. Just yeah. do it. So <laughs> come on, guy. Come on, guy. Come on. <laughs> come on. Get off your high horse. <laughs> yeah. Get, Kid over here. here. You know? But it but it was really like that, where it was like uh, just, you know, I had to eventually say it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. People probably aren't going to call me a jazz musician. People probably aren't going to call me a singer songwriter. I just want people to enjoy the music, to get something out of it. And maybe in some way, I, I think the best part about being a musician, about being an artist is that our kind of core duty, as I see it, and this other people have different ways of thinking about it, our core duty is to take life as other people see it and reflect it back to them in higher contrast and with more detail and more nuance. Because people look at sunsets or they look at clouds or they look at like when they're walking through a city, they just see how the rain kind of lays on the ground, lays on the sidewalk and they see how the street light hits it and it bounces off. And they see a guy reading a paper and they're looking at it and they're saying, there's something here. There's something that I'm just not getting it, but there's something beautiful about it, but it takes somebody like a Robert Frank or a Vivian Meyer to take a picture of that. And to give it back to them and say, see this, this is what you saw on that day in the rain. And this is how beautiful it was. And for somebody to give them sort of that, okay, 
you know, give them the permission to say like, yes, this, this is what I was seeing. And this is kind of in all its glory because people see the beauty of life, but they, they really lack the ways of talking about it. It gives them permission to feel that on their own, Mm -hmm. which, which to me is like, that's, that's the reason why you do any of it. So Mm -hmm. if all I get to, if no one says that I'm like, uh, like that I'm this or that or whatever, as long Mm -hmm. as they just, I don't know, get something out of it. Mm -hmm. And if they don't, then there's plenty of other people that are doing it that are, Mm -hmm. that they'll get something out of it. Mm -hmm. But I just, I would like a couple minutes of their time you know, and to just try to show them something and show them that they're beautiful too. Yeah. With the book, it's going to be released on February 6th at the Parlor Jazz Jam, which is something that you host uh, now. Uh, You've taken the reins of that. Um, Yeah. uh, So definitely recommend checking that out. Uh, You know, head down February 6th to, uh, you know, celebrate this release. You have, uh, uh, can you talk about what you have planned for that particular evening? And then just talk about the jazz jam in general. And, and uh, February 6th, what we're going to do is what we usually do with these jams is we, as the house band, I run the house band. It's me, uh, Daniel on saxophone, me on saxophone, Daniel Hill on keys, Tom Casale on the bass, and then Jim Nordhill on drums. And we open the night, playing a couple of tunes of our own material. Then we start bringing up people. They come up, they can sit in with the house band. We rotate players in and out, just playing tunes from the jazz, you know, oeuvre or whatever, you know, just from all, whatever they want to play. We just come up and they, we just jam. And then at the end of the night, we might play a tune. So what we're going to do February 6th is we're going to release the book. It's going to be available for purchase there there's it's a limited run only 50 copies available if you buy it you do get a digital download of the album i got i have to print out the labels and stuff but (laughs) it's a it's a limited run it's first edition they're going to be all hand signed and numbered and everything so it is it's a special thing and we're going to play two tunes um up front from that book and then we're going to close at the end with um another one of those songs and so you get to hear the material but yeah, the jazz yeah. jam uh, is something that the parlor was doing for a while, and it was it was really it was going very well. Um, but they, I, when things started closing down, it obviously had to end. So when things started opening up, I kept bugging Gregory at the parlor. I'm like, hey man, I know they used to do this thing. Let me run it. Let me run it. Let me run it. Because I, one of, the, I'm I'm not confident about a lot of stuff. Like I, I'm not, I'm, there are a few things though, that I am confident about. I'm confident that I can cut a hedge really, really well. Yeah. I know, <laughs> I know it, I do a good job with hedges. Um, yeah. and I know that I would be a, I'm a good host for stuff like that because yeah. I want you to have a good time. I want you to feel welcome. I want you to feel like you can be a part of this because when I was going to jams, that was the most important thing because I was very wary of it and I was very scared and I didn't feel good, but I was so welcomed by people like Mivet Threats and Joe Potenza and Richard Hunley and all these like older guys who would like play and like, let me sit in and they give me props and like, give me advice and stuff. And I just want to kind of use the jam at the parlor for that, this community. It's not, 
some jams are like really like let's we're gonna like cut each other down we're gonna like really it's a it's a competition wow, okay. a friendly yeah. it's a friendly yeah. competition but this is not that this is like strictly like a show your chops one up well like one up yeah. each other or whatever yeah yeah but right not and, that. It's, and it's like you know there's some guys that like if they were to do the jam like i would try to show i would try to show up a little bit more like guys that I play, like Leland, like if Leland ever comes by the jam, it's like, I'm going to be putting my A game on because I know he's, he can play. And, but it's still like, p- part of it is like, I, we just want to build a community uh-huh. in the, and that's what the jazz jam is. We're really focusing on is getting people up there who are just letting them be comfortable, letting them learn, you know, you'll see me like yelling out directions or like explaining how to like, what are we doing? Like if somebody on the bandstand is like, okay, what do I do now? I'll just explain to them rather than looking at them like, what do you, what do you think we're doing? We're up here playing tunes, play something. Yeah. I don't know. Put the horn in you know, yeah. I'm not going to yell at people like that. So that's what we want to do with the jam. It's just yeah. real community, real effort like that. People come in first Sunday of every month, um, five 30 to eight, Bring your horn, bring your voice, um, and just come play with us. That's what what we want. And yeah, can you talk a little bit about some of the open mic uh, that that you, open mics that you go to, and just kind of the open mic scene in Rhode yeah. Island um, from your experience? Well, so that was actually one of the first one of the first things I did um, when I was first writing the material. When I was first writing the singer songwriter material, is like I, I didn't have anywhere to play, and I just I didn't have kind of the stomach to just get up, and I just couldn't book anything and. We were living in when we were living in Newport. I um, there was this thing at the place called the Parlor. Um, Bill Bartholomew actually used to run it with uh, Dave Flamin and uh, Randy Robbins. I think all of them kind of like rotated in and out running that the two hundo open. Mic. Yeah, yeah. And so I went to that, and that was my first taste of like sitting in, and it was just like, oh my! I just like, oh yeah, you can do this. They uh-huh. gave me the space, and I got actually some pretty decent feedback of like people liked what I was doing and it just kept me going. And I would go to like a couple of open mics, but I never really got into it. And then when the shutdown happened, when the you know pandemic closed everything down, yeah, I just remember sitting there thinking like, when it opens up again, I'm, I'm just going to go, I'm just going to try to go to these things and try yeah. to go hard because I, I, you know, I, Again, I I believe that I can play pretty well, but it's like I just my thing is like, well, I got you know I got to stay home and I got to write, I got to work on this stuff. I have so much stuff to do. I can't go out to these 
open mics, but I really realized that I needed to be part of the community in some way. If I was going to make, because I believe in the songs. I don't believe in my ability to play them sometimes, but I believe in the quality of the material. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was like, but I wasn't getting any gigs and everything. I'm just like, you got to be a part of it more. Yeah. You Uh just have to be. And we had a, like before the shutdown, we did this big Tom Waits tribute where, you know, we got a bunch of people in the community and I was pretty stoked because I was running the house band and I was like, okay, we're, that's going to be, my way to kind of get into the thing and then into the community a little bit. And then it shut down. And then it was like, I'm back to square one. Nobody knows really who I am. I kind of have intro with some people, but, um, so then I just decided when it opens up, I got to go to these open mics. The one at askew started up. I went to that. Adam Newell is doing a great job and askew is just a really cool place to go. And Mm -hmm. they were very friendly. Everyone was like, it was hopping some nights. So I was playing to like, rooms that were like half full whereas i was normally playing to people like you know that i brought with me to the gig that was <laughs> that was my audience usually yeah. um and then the parlor open mic started up again and i had heard it was such a great community before the shutdown so i went in and it really is this like very specific community um that like comes out every Wednesday Mm -hmm. and Gregory at the parlor has just like let that, that place become such a community oriented music venue. And Steve Donovan runs a great open mic and Mm -hmm. Raza does awesome sound. I mean, it's just such a great place. That's hard not to like want to go back anyway, just to like be there and support people and listen. Mm -hmm. I haven't been able to go in the past few weeks because of just life stuff, but yeah, I, I love it, man. It it was it's been such a boon to me in so many different ways cool. of just meeting people and talking and you know different gigs. Kind of you get different gigs from it or whatever. Or you just I don't know. You just get to make music around cool people. Yeah, it's great that there are opportunities to go out and and play and uh, you know be connected and to work on your stuff. I mean, it's a critical piece in just building our music community and, and people such as oh, yourself yeah. or uh, there's a lot of people that have come out of the open mic scene. There are just people that have, you know, worked on some new things and it's just, it's wonderful to, uh, to see that, that going. And, and I hope that can continue and, and, and grow in Rhode Island. So, yeah, um, no, absolutely. Uh, but the last question I have for you, Ben, is what would you say is your greatest music accomplishment to this point? So in, in a fashion that is just so obvious, I'm going to do a couple quick ones because that's of course what I would pick to do rather than just give you a simple answer, James. Um, (laughs) The first, my first biggest accomplishment, um, I would say the string quartet. I think Mm -hmm. that unlocked for me, that proved to me that I could, I could be a serious professional musician if I actually gave it a try, if I actually put effort into it and believed and just followed what I heard, I could accomplish. I, I, I hesitate to say this because it, it sounds really, I'm sure I, I'm going to sound kind of like an asshole, but I accomplished something that I don't think a lot of other people could with that just in terms of its quality with its, 
not that they couldn't, but it's like just that they wouldn't like it, it was something totally unique to me um, in in a professional level that I just never thought that I would be able to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that maybe another one is like um, that Tom Waits show I mentioned. I have such a deep, profound love for him and his music. And we wanted to go out. I had never done a show really that that was that big and Chrissy Stewart, I got together with her and we just planned it. And I came up with the concept. I had wanted to do it for a long time. I was like, we should just do a Tom Waits tribute show that, and just like go like full bore, like pedal to the metal, like balls to the wall, just like do it as you wanted to do it. Uh-huh. And it, it took months of planning and like people to be like, be down, but we sold out Goodwill engine company and I got to do, I got to pay tribute to Tom Waits, this guy who's so inspiring and so complete in my life and got a room full of people to scream one of his songs at the end of the night, which is so cool. Um, and I would say the, the, the greatest accomplishment that I ever had to music to date is um, this album that I refuse to like really ever talk about the one we recorded that big, nice that people haven't heard yet. I, I, I hesitate to talk about it only because I'm releasing other stuff. I don't want that stuff to sound like I don't love that music. I love everything that I've produced um, because I put a lot of myself into it. Um, but the record that we did at big, nice is just such a, so like, when I was recording the jazz album, the last track on the jazz album is this one called Untitled Folk Melody. And it's a song that I, when we were playing it, it just, it felt, it's simple, but it just felt really good. And I listened to it after. And the first time I listened to it, I, the take, I, I just started crying because it was, I finally said what I wanted to say in a song, huh. the way I wanted to say it in, via jazz like everything about how we played the tune my solo it was exactly how i've always wanted to be heard and so it was so it it was so affecting and this album that we recorded at big nice is 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 a way i've wanted to express myself in music that it's like oh yeah you don't do like a weird voice over that don't like elongate these words don't you know i took everything that i thought wouldn't work but i knew would work Mm -hmm. and we put it in an album it's dude it's it's just like it is exactly the music that i've i heard it completely all these the nine songs were recorded i heard them in my mind as i wanted them to go and they came out better and they came out exactly like I wanted them to be, but they came out better than I wanted them to be. I've, I've said something, a complete thought I've written. It is like my, my symphony right now. And it's, it was just such a, and the guys I have on it, just the way they played and the way that Brad engineered it and the whole vibe of it. I told the guys when we started out that like, we, if we wanted to, we could make something great with this because i just had such belief and faith in the songs and if we just had to we just had to prove to ourselves that we could be great and i know it's my own material but we we were great 
And it is, it is exactly everything that I, I have always wanted to say in music. And I was able to actually say it. And Mm it's, dude, it's, it's, it's awesome. I I, I can't. Yeah. And to have that and to be able to listen to it now. Yeah. Yeah. And to be like everything that I thought, everything that I had in here that I thought was wrong or that I thought was silly or that I thought was not good. Any, anything that I I wanted to say that I thought was just going to be laughable and no one would understand. I, I, I fucking said it and I, mm-hmm. and we said it well and it is complete. And it, it's just an utter, I'm in amazement that of the guys that let me, do this it was i don't know it's it's i know i'm rambling now but it's it's that man it's it's cool it's complete it's oh yeah well i'm glad that you were able to make that i mean i think that that is the ultimate uh as of a musician and and something that i've been really focusing on is just really making music that that i want to listen to and not again it's something that is um like a, a selfish type thing, but maybe it, I guess it is, but I just like, it doesn't need to go beyond that. Yeah. I can get really wrapped up in so many other numbers and yes. um, you know what a certain person thinks, but if I think it's good, if it's like, like making an album that I want to listen to is kind of the goal, you know? So yeah. um, I, I really love hearing that from you. Um, I personally can't wait to hear it. Uh, it's a, a very big tease because I don't even know when that that one is coming out. <laughs> that's pretty awesome. We're, and, I'm uh, thinking. I'm thinking December. I, okay. I'm, we're still working on. We're. I, I'm still working on editing the novella with um this uh woman Claudia is helping me edit the words because I I wrote them all. I'd wake up at five. I'd wake up before work and I would work on it like every yep. day at like five a.m. for like an hour and a half before work. Uh, for a couple of weeks. Um, and I would just like try to grind it out. And so she's making it sound like, uh, like actual like prose rather than it's, it was good, but it's like, she's doing a really good number on That's it. Cool. We're working on the mixes. Yeah. I got to get, you know, pictures and stuff. I have great ideas that expound like surprises for the album that are beyond what I've detailed here, but yeah. a little taste of what's the, yeah. but no, that's cool. And yeah, definitely. I look forward to checking that out and reconnecting with you on that. But Ben, thanks again for your time. It was really cool to learn a little bit more. I mean, you're just a very expansive artist as, as you've all heard. So uh, getting to understand a little bit more about that and share that with people really means a lot. So thank you, Ben. Dude, thank I, I'm I'm obsessed with this podcast. I love it. I love what you do, man. I love how you do it. And I am just so incredibly grateful to be a small part of it. Thank you so much, James. I really, truly appreciate it.
Oh, oh, oh.